You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today I have in studio with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're going to talk about relationships in recovery. In honor of Valentine's Day, I thought that would be a wonderful little topic to discuss because it is something that people get a lot of messages about. Some of them mixed, many of them very direct, but often it's quite confusing to folks that um, are either in relationships or contemplating a relationship and they're also in early recovery. So I appreciate you guys being here today and look forward to this little discussion. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank Thank you. And to you. So let's talk about someone who is in a relationship. They are in a relationship, a serious relationship, and they're in recovery and early in recovery. There are some do's and some don'ts around how to manage um, this particular um, situation because... As we all know, the relationship itself is going to undergo some change, just like the individual in recovery is going to undergo some change. And often the loved one who's very anxious for their person to get into recovery suddenly finds that the relationship is struggling a bit. It's it's actually amazing how often I'll experience it where a family member will come and they'll talk about all the different things they've done to get this person into recovery. You know, they've called all of their friends, they've called the boss, they've made all of these arrangements and done all these steps to finally get him there, and they've lived with this situation for years. And then the person's in recovery and the person is starting to um, do a little bit better and want to talk about things, and they're ready to file for divorce. There's like they're ready to run away at this point because <coughs> they don't know who this person is anymore. So th- this is a crucial topic. Um, and what I always talk to them about is, you know, you've been in this, you are in this relationship for a reason. You've been here for this amount of time. Typically, we say if you've stayed in an, in a relationship with an active addict for more than two years, you probably have your own codependency issues that have brought you there. So now's a great time to deal with it. Let's jump in and deal with it together. And I think that's an important distinction uh, because certainly if it's an intense relationship but it's a relatively short-term relationship, then most likely the, the partner of the person with addiction has never known the person in recovery. They don't know the person sober. They don't know a sober lifestyle with them. And that kind of relationship is most likely not going to make it because you were attracted to someone who was struggling with the disease of addiction, often impaired, often a lot of chaos and drama, and that's going to hopefully get a whole lot better, I mean the chaos and drama part, as someone gets into recovery, that's going to be pretty unappealing to the person who's really been attracted to and drawn to the person in active disease. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that really does say a lot in terms of someone who is attracted to someone who's who's at this stage in their addiction. You know, it's not like they're at the very beginning of using and they're still having fun with it. If they're in a short-term relationship with somebody who's about to enter treatment, they met somebody who was already in crisis right. or already in drama. And there's something about that person that wants to be a fixer and wants to be the one that goes out and rescues um, um, and both both of the people in this relationship are going to do if they if they say okay you know we're staying in this relationship we love each other God brought us together and we are going to work this through they are both going to go through some major changes in that first year that they're in the recovery process together so we really encourage if if y'all are committed to doing this you both need to be in therapy um the person with the addiction needs to be coming to groups and they need to be doing 12-step meetings for their particular addiction. And the person that's in the relationship needs to be going to Al-Anon or, or Codependence Anonymous and getting their own support to begin learning about the situation that they're they're living in. And about the changes that are soon to happen to their loved one and to the relationship and to the person themselves. I think that your um, advice, David, about they need to be in therapy, they need to be in their own recovery program is is vitally important. Although it's not very welcome advice, <laughs> it is um, really important advice because they have their own emotions that they have put on hold. They're angry, they're afraid, they're concerned, they're confused, they don't trust this person anymore when they discover that this person has not been forthright about how they've spent their money, how they've spent their time, what they've been doing. This just creates all sorts of feelings of doubt, suspicion, normal feelings, of course, but it, it rarely occurs to the <laughs> to the loved one that they're going to need some help dealing with this and these feelings and that it can't be their loved one in recovery. It can't be their person. It's got to be someone else and preferably a professional helping them sort through all these emotions and find their own ways of coping and dealing with it. Well, the other thing is that that if they do want to go into therapy, they really believe it's it's a we thing. They think this is the time to jump in there and do couples therapy so that we can work on these issues together and that we will grow together. And and what we really spend time working with each of them about is is that it takes two adults to have an adult relationship. And so when you have two people that are, are, you know, living in crisis or living in addiction, you don't have the two adults there yet. You have two people that have their own work to do before the we work can be, can really be worked on. And that's, uh, um, that's also really good advice and good information for people to understand because once the, the immediate let's get you into treatment and now things are calming down a bit and the person is is going through detox and they're beginning to look healthier and they're more present they're cognitively more with it 
now the family wants to really hit them with it and <laughs> want to let them know all that the family's been through and how hard it is for the family and how upset, yada, yada, we could go on and on. But you can't do that because the person with addiction is not far enough along in their recovery to hear it. They're also not far along enough in their recovery to have their own level of empathy for their loved ones. That's a, a brain function that doesn't come online sometimes for 90 days or more. And so it's, it's physically, cognitively, psychologically not possible for them to have this kind of couple's work Granted, it's probably needed, and it would be lovely if it could happen, but it is not going to work. It's going to leave both parties very confused, concerned, angry, and it's, it's not going to work. Part of um, the education that we really spend with family members, um, together with patients and family members, but family members in particular, is that their memories of the situation are so much different than the memories that the addict experiences. Mm -hmm. um, um, Michael, you have a... Absolutely. Um, the, the addict sometimes doesn't remember any part of it. Right. <laughs> except for before whatever thing happened that, you know, caused so much trouble. But they don't remember the trouble that, that was going on or the aftermath until they kind of come around and come to and um, the family members, they remember it like, you know, with the micro or microscope. Put Vivid to it. detail. Vivid details. Every single detail. And it's it's interesting to see the difference of the of of the two. Yeah, because I mean they'll have the every same. detail, and they're expecting an apology for each and every single detail, and and. An addict in very early recovery will nod their head yes, and they'll apologize for all of those things because they do know that they did something. They just don't, <laughs> they really don't remember, remember what, what it was. was. <laughs> um, but that's only going to last for like 30 days or so before they're going to get tired of nodding their head and saying, yes, you're right, I'm sorry. Well, and, and many times the uh, family members feel that they don't have to do any work post-sobriety um, because they've been put through the ringer and they've had to do, 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 do all this stuff. And now that the person is finally going to get sober, they think it's their problem and they need to deal with it. Only they don't realize that as that person gets sober and, and, and changes, it's changing the entire dynamic. And that's normal. I think that's one of the things to prepare the couple for and to pre pre prepare the family for is that the person getting into recovery, there's going to be a strain on the relationship, that this is normal. It's normal for them to be in different places emotionally, sometimes even physically. The person may have to go away um, to a residential program or to a detox program and they're literally out of the house, out of the community. And when they come back, they're also maybe not ready for re-entry into their home. And so literally they may not be there, but 
usually emotionally they're they're not available and this is going to strain the relationship it's normal it doesn't mean this relationship is doomed but it does mean that you need to be prepared for the fact that lots of things are shifting and it's it's normal and to expect that and to not get too overwhelmed or too upset by it mm-hmm. but um, it's very hard for the families mm, it is and the fact that the person doesn't remember I think one of the most dramatic stories um, I can recall is where a family member came upon or a spouse came upon a loved one who had overdosed on heroin and the person was completely out blue lips not breathing no heartbeat, and the loved one had to do CPR, was literally pounding on the chest, yelling for help, getting somebody to call 911. Their loved one had um, obviously was saved, thank goodness, and was able to, to get into some treatment. But the trauma that that caused the spouse in finding their person that they love dearly completely unconscious and for all practical purposes dead and having to go through the the fear of reviving them. When you talk to the patient, when you talk to the person that this happened to, they don't even remember finishing injecting the heroin. They have no memory for it. They have no memory of the CPR. They have no memory of the discovery. They have no memory of the ambulance ride. They have no memory of the emergency room until they get the dose of Narcan, the reversal agent, and then suddenly they have some memory for it. But the details are all very, very fuzzy, and they apologize, like you say, once or twice, or three times, and then they can't figure out, why can't you get over this? I've said sorry. I mean sorry. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about relationships in early recovery. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis, inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. With me in studio today are Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about relationships in recovery, and we're talking um, initially about someone who is in a long-term committed relationship, and their partner is getting into recovery. And there are many surprises for everyone along the way. We talked about um, the fact that the partner will also need some individual work. We talked about the fact that this may be a, um, a strained period of time as they figure out what this new relationship is going to look like because it will be a new relationship. It will be different. We talked about the, the potential um, issues um, related to uh, problems within, um, within the family and the time that this may take and that there may be requirements for some professional help to make sure that the, um, uh, the couples do the, the individual work they need and then when they're ready, and this may not be for a year or more, I, I think understanding the, the process, the recovery process physiologically and cognitively for the person in recovery, the individual work that the um, spouse needs to do is going to take some time to get over their feelings and their desire and need to control and all of those things. It's going to be a while before you do come to a place where you can do that individual work. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do some work. And, David, I know that you do a lot of work with our families in terms of uh, trying to discuss how to live in the here and now. It's I wouldn't call it, though, couples therapy. No, no. This is is purely about living in the here and now. That whole idea that that time takes time, we mentioned it briefly in terms of time takes time for empathy to come back and for memories to come back. But time takes time for the person in recovery just to really have a sense of confidence that they're going to make it through the next 24 hours without drinking if they're honest with themselves Um, and that they're going to be able to manage stress without overreacting or underreacting. So they really are on day-to-day survival mode. Um, I, I tend to say for the first year, right? but at very least for the first 90 days. And so often people are coming back from a 30-day treatment program um, at the time that they are really the most vulnerable in terms of they're not numb anymore, but they're not fully feeling anymore. They're just live wires going off. Um, so time is going to take time just to to um, be mindful that there's 
other people in your life that when you, you know, oversleep in the morning, you affect everybody and that you just have just basic being able to be courteous with each other, let alone be loving yet. So a lot of the work that you're doing is helping them communicate, talk about what the family rules, what the couple's rules are going to be. Sometimes because of behavioral addictions, there have to be some rules around intimacy. And when when are they going to share a, a house together? When are they going to share a room or a bed together? When are they going to have um, relationships again and in an intimate way? And these kinds of things really do need to be talked about and some decision needs to be made around how is this going to be negotiated. So it is important to do that kind of work, but that's not the healing therapy. That's the rules of daily living that we're going to put down. Well, and and also in those rules, if, if the uh, couple has children and say that the father is the, is the identified patient, um, the mother has been basically the disciplinarian, the um, sometimes the breadwinner, the whatever, all of these things for the children, and then all of a sudden dad gets sober and expects to you know take over some of that parenting stuff right away, and right. the kids just rebel, you know, depending upon how old they are. Or they go the other direction, but it still causes problems. Right, and their their normal patterns of interaction have been: I'm going to go ask mom. Right. I'm going to go tell mom. I'm going to go get permission to do this from mom. And dad, in that situation, is feeling very left out, wanting to take his power and authority back, and it creates all kinds of um, problems for for everybody: for mom, for the kids, and for dad. So having uh, a sit-down with David in terms of talking about these things, anticipating what some of the problems are going to be and helping to put together some ground rules about how they're going to manage these day-to-day situations is really important in order to help the transition happen in the best way possible and to minimize the possibility of relapse on anybody's part, including the person with codependency, relapsing back into taking back the reins, taking charge, being responsible for everything and everybody. I find, actually, that if I can give them a handout that just kind of highlights a lot of these things, and it was written by somebody back in, like, 1957 <laughs> or 1960-something. <laughs> so I can highlight for them that these are really common deni- dynamics of early recovery and that what's going on in your house is not abnormal or not unique, that these are just things that people have to survive through, and people have been surviving through them for many, many years. So you can live through this, and these are well-documented People experience it, and it does pass, and eventually you're able to have healthy relationships um, um, down the road. (laughs) Down the road. Right now it's um, coexisting and trying to do that in the best way possible with the least damage and the least disruption. But so AA really does recommend, and and most 12-step programs 
whether it's Al-Anon or not, recommend that you not get into a relationship in that first year um, because, you know, they know how many changes you're about to experience and how vulnerable you are in that first year. But if you are um, already in a fairly new relationship, they also recommend no major changes in the first year. So that's kind of a conflict for people. Do I get out of this relationship or do I stay in it? If you are going to stay in this relationship, being really clear with your with your um, significant other that recovery has got to be number one priority, that you've got to make your group meetings and your 12-step meetings, that you've got to pick up the phone and call your sponsor. And calling your sponsor doesn't mean that I don't want to talk to you. It just also means I need to talk to somebody who's got more perspective on life and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, as just basic steps to to survive that period until your empathy turns back on and you're able to start being more fully present. So again, understanding what recovery is going to look like is also really important because one of the things that often happens is mom's been drinking, mom is has been drinking from the time the kids left for school in the morning, drinking all day long, in the bed, not making uh, supper, not attending to homework, all of those kinds of things. Now mom comes back. She's alert. She's there. She's present. And yet now she's got to go to a meeting. She's got to meet with her sponsor. She's got to go to therapy. She may have aftercare or intensive outpatient programming. She may have group. There's a lot of things. So the expectation often on the part of dad and the kids is mom's going to, she's got treatment, so now she's going to be home and she's going to be there in the evenings cooking supper and doing homework and putting kids to bed. And it's often quite unpleasant (laughs) for the family to realize recovery is going to take mom or dad or husband or wife out of the out of the house to be engaging in recovery work and there's often a lot of resentments around that yeah a lot of kids in particular they they feel abandoned by mom at this point we're on the mom stage so they feel abandoned by mom um, and they feel like they've put their life together without her so they shouldn't have to deal with her now um, and and they've seen mom having her bottle of wine with her when she's doing everything before so why should they suspect that she's going to change so they ha- they have a lot of anger and and they will vent it in their sideways manners mm-hmm. that that mom will definitely pick up um and and be a little bit um powerless to to be able to correct that cuz time's going to take time time <laughs> is going to take time so sometimes there is a situation though where for a variety of reasons, and that could be a whole nother show, <laughs> but for a variety of reasons, this relationship is either damaged beyond repair or this relationship is not healthy or one person is in recovery and the other person is just not going to and may be active in their own disease of addiction, have other issues. 
So sometimes, even against the advice of the don't do anything for a year <laughs> recommendations, it may be advisable, it may be important, it may actually be a healthy move to get out of that relationship and to recognize this damage and to move out of it more quickly. And, um, and sometimes you need some professional help to do this as well. You know, I think of that old song, um, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, <laughs> because I, I think, actually, in this scenario, as painless as possible often is, is as quick as possible. Um, I've so often seen couples in this situation where they're, they know that, that back and forth, they know it's not working out, and they just torture each other with trying to be friendly and trying to be nice and trying to not hurt the other person. And... They might not drink or use, but they'll torture each other for months trying to make the separation happen. Not, not a good thing. So sometimes the healthiest thing is to acknowledge it and to move on. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the moving on phase. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. Happy Valentine's Day. This is Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. And we're talking about relationships, relationships in early recovery. We've talked right before the break about the difficulty 
when a relationship really is not in the best interest of either party to continue, that sometimes the best thing to do is to end that relationship and to do it in the healthiest and quickest way possible so that the least amount of damage is continued to be done. But I wish that's all that we needed to do is just stop being in a bad relationship and then count on the fact that from now on, all my relationships are going to be good relationships because I'm in recovery. That doesn't exactly work that way. But it is nice for wishing. <laughs> it is. I can just wish that I can just go out of here and, and have the happily ever after. Right. Um, unfortunately, what we what we really work on with people is is that in the midst of this, their people picker has gotten a little bit me- mixed up, and that we've got to help them do the work to to fix their their ability to pick people properly. <laughs> I'm going to try to get as many peas in here. Um, <laughs> to to make that next relationship in their in their life um, something that's going to be lasting and wonderful. So probably the first word of caution is don't get into a relationship right away. Uh, again, because this is a common common theme, this is a common behavior and people often figure the best way to get over a bad relationship is to get into a new one. So we would put a little caution here and ask the person to not quickly move into healing my pain of losing this relationship by getting in another one. So, and they they really recommend no relationships for the first year, um, but they don't tell you what to do at that time. So people will be going to meetings and they'll be sitting there counting the days to, to for their year only to find themselves in the worst possible relationship they could ever imagine being in after they've waited a year. So we don't recommend that you just wait a year, but that you do really do some some work on stuff during that time period. Mm -hmm. Um, A a phrase I've recently learned, um, although we talk about it in terms of people pickers all the time, but a a little bit better phrase is is, um, assortive mating. And that's the idea that, that you're picking people based on um, not wanting to pick somebody who's going to stay in the same drama that you've just been in. So you end up picking somebody that's that you think is going to be exactly opposite, or you find yourself picking somebody that's mirroring the situation that you've just been in. Um, um, because right now, that's what your brain is, is focused on. And, and so you've got to allow your, your brain some time to clear up. Uh, just so that you know you're not just picking somebody with the exact same situation you're currently dealing with. Because this happens over and over and over again. Their name may be different. How they look is different. What they do is different. But how they end up making you feel is just the same if you don't do anything but the same thing you've always done in terms of picking um, or uh, being attracted to to another person and sometimes our instinctual attraction we need to do exactly the opposite of that because we're attracted to what what is familiar and if we grew up in a dysfunctional family if we've been in a long term or multiple 
um, relationships that have been dysfunctional, that feels normal. And we're attracted to people that have that same kind of energy. So not just wait the year, David, you're absolutely right, but there's some work that you can do as an individual in or out of a relationship to help you fix your picker and to have a better chance of really having a solid, healthy happy relationship the the idea that you talked about in terms of picking what's familiar um is is so crucial because because people will enter the situation and and they'll meet somebody who's incredibly healthy um that wants to hear their problems that wants to have responsible solutions that wants to be able to be spontaneous and have fun and that person they'll perceive as being um so unfamiliar that they'll perceive that they're unhealthy. They'll right. think, well, this person is boring or this person is unreliable or something that's going to push that person away just because because healthy is so unfamiliar. So we've got to help them them do the work to become healthy so that they're able to, to do that. Um, part of what I really counsel people if they're doing a 12-step program is to really focus on doing four through nine. Steps four five, six, seven, eight, and nine are all about stopping and looking at yourself in relationships and and fixing who you are in relationships so that you're you don't have to worry about the the, the baggage from the past or, or if you're able to to pick this. But it's it's not just about doing four four through nine to fix what your addiction did, but also to to fix who you are in relationship with people really important to look at how did your relationships or how do your relationships tend to begin where do you find the people that you're usually attracted to how do they usually end how long do they last looking in depth at the relationships and trying to pull yourself away from from the pain or the anger or the frustration but to really see the the patterns because i can pretty much guarantee you there will be a pattern just like you see in step four you'll see this continued pattern of i fall in love really quickly i want to move really fast Uh, whatever it is there are patterns that as you begin to understand that you can then develop some strategies to avoid that. Because as you heal, this is such an interesting phenomenon, as you heal in your addiction, as you heal in your codependency and your relationship issues, you will no longer attract to you people who are ill. You will no longer attract the person who is going to smother you and mother you and take control and do everything for you which sounds really nice let somebody else just do everything but it makes the person feel like they can't handle things it makes people angry and feeling controlled and manipulated so if you heal you're no longer 
going to be attractive to someone who is trying to fix you or someone who's trying to make you better or someone who is total chaos. They're not interested in you, and you're not going to be interested in them. But looking really closely and spending some time on your relationships, your love, your intimate relationships, and, and learning about that is a very good use of this year. Um, finding your voice <coughs> and, and being able to be really clear about your own truth, in particular, your truth of being somebody in recovery mm-hmm. is is crucial. There's so many people who, when they're first meeting people, will say, I don't drink because I'm on a medication or I don't drink because of of some other reason other than I'm in recovery. And that might be fine if you're only having one date with this person, but if you're going to continue dating with this, th- these people, they're going to think that medication's going to end sometime and you're going to be able to drink with them. And if at that point you decide to get honest, what you're, what you're actually letting them know is that you're lying to them. Right. And we're not building a, a relationship when it's going to start out that way. So if you're not able, as one clue for yourself, if you're not able to just say this phrase, I'm, I'm an alcoholic in recovery and I don't drink, then it's really too early to start dating. <laughs> and I think that's a very good barometer. If you can't feel okay saying that, if you can't feel comfortable identifying yourself, accepting that disease, and putting recovery as an important part of who you are, how you spend your time, what you value in your life. Those are the things on which you build a solid relationship, being honest and truthful, talking about your values. These are the things that you do in early relationships to find out if you're compatible enough. And I I love it when you said that, David, that if you can't say, I'm in recovery and I don't drink, I don't use drugs, I don't rob banks, I don't, you know, do a myriad of things. If you can't do that and feel okay with it, then you're not ready to um, invest time and effort into an actual relationship. You need to do some more relationship work and look um, at what are the um, what are the the things that you want out of a relationship, and what are the early warning signs that this is not a good person for you. Spend time looking at that. That right there is a, is a powerful question that it's so hard for people in early recovery, especially codependency recovery, to answer. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want? Um, what kind of movies do you like to go to? There are people who will say, I saw every horror movie that's ever been made, and I hate horror movies, simply because they can't say, no, I don't like going to horror movies. I'd rather go see um, a Disney comedy or something, you know? Um, but until they're at a point of being able to say, yeah, this is what I want, and yeah, this is what I don't want, on restaurants, on on entertainment Vacation. activities, <laughs> then they're still not able to be fully present in a relationship so just starting out with your friends being able to say I want to go to a movie or I want to go bowling or I want to stay home and watch TV tonight and being comfortable with the I want sentence and and respecting that their wants might be different 
without rejecting the whole relationship. Right. That doesn't mean you get your wants every time. But if you don't feel, as you say, that you have a voice, that you have a right or the ability to say, this is what I like and this is what I don't like, I may be willing to compromise with you on this if you'll compromise with me on that. But you have to be able to be comfortable enough with yourself and understand truly who you are and what do you want and what do you like and what do you not like and what are the deal breakers for you in a relationship. These are really important things to think about and what my list is going to be is going to be different than your list and that's okay. But you have to really understand yourself enough to be able to clearly have those things in your mind so that you are able to communicate and you are able to attract a person that's going to meet those requirements. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're talking about more warning signs and more advice as to how to manage a relationship in early recovery. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. It's Relationship Day on Detailing Addiction, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson, Michael Daly, and I are discussing relationships in recovery. We've been talking about the difficulty in negotiating and navigating relationships, whether you're in a long-term relationship or whether you're just getting out of one or whether you don't have one at all and you're considering starting one. And there are a number of pitfall, pitfalls and a number of things that you need to do, but looking at your past relationships can be really helpful and what you can learn from them in terms of who you are and what you want very helpful. Being safe, I think, is one of the really important things. And sometimes um, in our quest to raise our dopamine, which is our pleasure chemical, that can also be raised, by the way, uh, by relationships, we have to be really careful that that um, rise in dopamine doesn't lead us to places that might be dangerous or people that might be dangerous for us. So protecting our own individual safety, avoiding obviously uh, very um, abusive relationships, protecting the safety of our children, our friends, really, really important. And, and knowing what those boundaries and limits are, really important. And so, again, if you're not at a place where you're comfortable saying, this is my truth, then it's too early to start dating and just keep going to meetings and hanging out with groups of people. You, just like when when you're 15, 16 years old and you're beginning to um, find yourself interested in dating, most people were said, well, you have to go out with groups. You don't get to have um, one-on-one dates until you're 30. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is, you have to just go back to some of that old safety of allowing to make sure you're going to be in public places with people who are are safe. Healthy, clean, and sober. And learning how to have fun while you're sober, I think, is another important task that needs to be accomplished in that first year of recovery. So many people have big... Um, have just assumed that the only way that they can ever have fun is to be under the influence, to be intoxicated, to be on drugs or using alcohol, and to try and explore and find out maybe it's not, maybe it really isn't fun to go bowling if I'm not under the influence. And maybe I really don't like bowling. Maybe I just liked alcohol. Important thing. Maybe it may not be safe for you to go back to bowling because it's too closely associated with alcohol. Maybe you need to find a new way to spend your time. But you have to find some fun and you have to really understand and prove to yourself that you can have sober fun and that you can be an interesting, fun person sober. So that's an important task in the first year. Actually, um, the whole idea of taking this first year to just date yourself mm-hmm. can be a, like a, a great suggestion in terms of just learning who you are and learning what you like and don't like. Um, because so many people, when they hear don't date for a year, they just hear that as another one of the date don'ts. Right. Don't drink, don't use, don't eat, blah, blah. And, and it's another list of things that they're just waiting um, and and. Putting it in terms of finding out what you enjoy and don't enjoy is is a, a great task. Well, and it, it's important to that first year just to get comfortable with your sobriety. Right. Just getting comfortable with the fact that you're now sober, 
Um, you don't know how to hang out with a group of people. That's really very difficult for a lot of people, and it's something that you kind of have to have to do if you're going to get yourself involved in meetings and and get a sponsor and start, you know, really um, doing a twelve step program. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that need to get comfortable just with yourself um, in with others is really important, and and. It takes time. Mm-hmm. And meetings, a real prominent thing that people learn to do in their first um, months of recovery is Saturday night, Friday night, Sunday morning, some of these really vulnerable times is a good time to go to a meeting, is a good time to practice being with other people, being honest, exploring your feelings, dating yourself, figuring out some fun things that you can do and beginning to really put together what is your ideal person and and what are you what are you like real important stuff in terms of learning that if you're beginning to move into the dating scene now it's time and you can say i'm in recovery and you are um, comfortable you found some fun things you like to do you found your ability to be with others and to be comfortable in your recovery is there what do you think about do you date somebody who's also in recovery do you date somebody who's not in recovery well I think that dating in recovery requires you know that that same sitting down with with and making a sort of ground rules if you are dating someone in recovery you have to you have to have maybe a meeting where you come together and go to a meeting together but then you also have to plan for separate meetings and meetings that are not um made up of the same people so that if you do need to talk about the person that you're dating it's safe because Mm -hmm. that's you know that's what you have to do is you have to absolutely make sure that whatever meeting schedule you're you're used to and you're comfortable with is safe there are definitely some pros for dating somebody who's who's also in recovery Mm -hmm. um if they're if they're also working a solid program meaning that they've they're doing their step work they're using their sponsor they're learning the same language um and in terms of talking about feelings and talking about honesty and and talking about when you when you do something wrong, you apologize and you fix it and you move forward. People who who have that same language can can have a very very solid, healthy, wonderful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're when you're deciding, okay, I'm going to not date anybody in in recovery, and you just close that door, you're really missing out on on a lot of those opportunities. But then you're also putting yourself in a position where you have to really educate the person that you're going to be dating, you, because most people in our society use alcohol to get through a first date. Blind dates are real often the you know wine is a part of it or or beer is a part of it and so when that's not a part of it it's going to create a conversation. So yeah, so I think there are pros and cons, you know, like you say having someone who shares your same experience in terms of going through recovery and knows what the um, what work is involved and what this means uh, is a, is a great comfort. It can also be a great risk because if your partner relapses, 
um, statistics show that your chance of remaining sober are, are not very good. And, and so there is an inherent risk in this shared experience that, well, if they can't make it, how the heck am I going to make it? And the next thing you know, neither of you have made it. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a risk. But And it's also important to look at how much, how much uh, sober time you have compared to the person that you're in, intending to date or, you know, wanting to date because – if if you have five years and this person has ninety days or you know early on, right. that's not going to work. More than likely, right? Your recovery age. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean it, it has a really it age. has a very big mm-hmm. bearing on on how this relationship is going to work. It's not something that somebody in their first year or second year really recognizes because they have that same denial of now that alcohol or drugs isn't in my system, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But the the experience of of having lived through a few of those years and lived through the chaos and drama that goes through those years absolutely changes a person. Um, and And so they are in very, very different places. And understanding uh, your commitment to recovery, whether you're dating somebody in recovery or, or someone who is not, they need to understand this responsibility that you have and this uh, illness that you have and what it's going to mean to the relationship for you to work your program. I also like the idea of um, don't date where you frequent Mm-hmm. So we all know don't date where you work, that that's really a bad idea because if things go wrong, there is going to be a very difficult situation. But as as you mentioned, Michael, it's really important to make sure that your recovery is your separate private recovery and that it's not a shared recovery, that you're not necessarily now going to have a problem if you've lost uh, a meeting that you love or the support of a group of friends that now have to pick. Mm-hmm. So real important, very difficult. It is a rewarding. People can be in good, healthy relationships. They can be healthier than they've ever been before in every single way. Recovery is a gift and recovery is a blessing and it can be to a relationship, but there has to be some time and thought involved. Happy Valentine's Day to you all and we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.